thing that's been stealing my focus for the longest time for almost a year now has been what's going on in this how do we work alone but together movement, this remote work and remote teams movement. Because again, that's something that COVID really just accelerated. It was here before. We had a lot of good research on how well it works and where it doesn't work and what the challenges are. And then we all went through a great work from home experiment where we got to test it out and it's working for a lot of people. And I, the way that I always say it now, you don't send a hundred million people off to work from home for a year and then snap your fingers and say, it's time to come back to the office. It doesn't happen. Most of your top talent is going to want that freedom and flexibility. Most of all of your talent is going to want that freedom and flexibility. And so we need to get used to the fact that that is one of those areas where this is a new normal. Hi there, this is David Knorr. Welcome to the third season of the Curvebenders podcast. I'm so excited after years of research and interviews and due diligence on this topic to finally be able to publish Curvebenders this year. It'll be my 11th book as a follow-on to Relationship Economics and Co-Create. Curvebenders, in essence, are your strategic relationships that enable your non-linear growth in the future. Our research points to 15 forces that we believe will dramatically impact the future of how you'll work, how you'll live, how you'll play, and how you'll give. The global pandemic is just one example. So how will you remain relevant if more disruption will come at us more often with potentially far greater impact? In each episode, I want to share with you insights, great ideas from guests I've invited to join us, as well as practical ideas in the evolution of your skills, your knowledge, your behaviors, and most importantly, what I believe is your biggest asset, which is your portfolio of relationships. I call those relationships your curve benders. So let's get started. Hi, everybody. Noor here. I want to let you know that we've launched a brand new website, including a brand new blog, a resource section with links to all the previous podcast episodes, Inc. and Forbes articles, and a new intimate community called the Noor Forum. It's a place where like-minded professionals are gathering to learn, share, and grow through insights about strategic relationships, visual storytelling, and nonlinear growth. This is also where you'll find the show notes, articles, references to position papers by my podcast guests. For example, I hosted David Burkus on a live stream, and we've put a link to that video there. So join us at norgroup.com slash forum. That's N-O-U-R group, norgroup.com slash forum. Welcome back to another episode of the Curvebenders podcast. My guest today, that I've actually known for a few years, is one of those Marshall Goldsmith MG100 colleagues and friends, David Burkus. Welcome. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm trying to think if that was it. Was it the Arizona retreat for the MG100 or was it like Thinkers 50, 20, 17. I'm trying to remember wh- which it was, one it would have been that we met, but yeah, London Thinkers 50. That was we initially met and then we saw each other several events. And I, I loved all those Marshall gatherings before, before this pandemic hit. But it's good to have you. Marcus, for those who may not know as much about you, can you spend just a couple of minutes about your background and kind of what do you do now? Yeah. So I'm an organizational psychologist by training. I'm a writer by passion, actually also by training. The long version of the story is I went to undergraduate university to study English and creative writing. I thought that meant I was going to be a novelist. But while I was there, I took a couple of classes in narrative nonfiction, 
read a couple of the you know best American science writing anthologies and that sort of stuff and thought, wow, this is fascinating, right? Like telling stories, but telling stories that are true, using good storytelling techniques, but usually telling them about stuff that is evidence-based and scientific. And man, that that's really cool. I also noticed that the people who did that didn't starve the way that novelists did. So I started thinking, hey, this is this might be better to go up. So so I graduated with an undergrad degree in English, but somehow talked an organizational psychology program into <laughs> letting me in. And the intent was never to go the academic route, but just to learn enough so that I could, I used to say, I'm trying to get good ideas out of the ivory tower and back into the corner office. And that was the goal, was to use writing and, and speaking in any kind of communication medium to do that. And so I took a little detour where I was a full-time business school professor for six or seven years because it was just a, it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up, to be honest with you. But the passion has always been to communicate what's new in the world of work and what ideas are we discovering about how people work, connect, and how we can make the workplace a, a better place or at least a less sucky place. Uh, how we can do all of that. That's been the through line through all of my work now, including the new one. Basically all about trying to help people do their best work ever in whatever medium I'm trying to communicate in. It's also why you and I get along so much because we're united in that mission. I love that. So talk about the big trends you saw in the pandemic that you believe will actually stay with us in the after COVID world. Yeah. What I try and separate out or the way that I've been thinking through this is that there are things that COVID changed and there are things that COVID accelerated. And I'm really bearish on the things that COVID changed, but I'm really bullish on the things that it accelerated, right? I mean, the biggest one being this remote work, work from home, whatever you want to call it, movement. That was already starting. The needle was already moving. It sort of rises and falls and rises to, you know, two steps forward, one step back when you look at companies support for remote and flexible work programs and that kind of stuff. But we were headed towards an inevitability and the biggest barrier to it was companies and leaders saying, oh, that'll never work. And then everybody got forced into trying it. And a lot of them found out that it did work. And more importantly, a lot of employees found out that it did work, right? So I, I think that's a trend that'll continue. There's obviously this sort of Scott Galloway calls it the great dispersion where you know, we're relying on things like the gig economy, like never before, whether it's food delivery or other little services like that. We're not relying less on big name brands and locations and more on the big name brands that bring us individual relationships with gig workers, that sort of thing. That trend, I think, will, will continue. I think there's some things in our response to the pandemic that will obviously not continue. I mean, I, I don't know how we operate a global economy with closed borders like we've had for the last almost year. So that will obviously go back to normal, if you will, when it's over. I actually think that you know, the, the space that you and I work in really relies on a lot of in-person events, whether it's a, a speech at a conference or a training workshop for an organization. And I think we're going to go back to that pretty heavily as well. Maybe not on the organization side, because you can deliver training and content in a variety of means now, but people will want to gather again, right? And so I'm really actually really, really bullish on the conferences and meetings industry. I don't know when, but at some point it'll come back. But as I said, the biggest thing and the thing that's been stealing my focus for the longest time for almost a year now has been what's going on in this how do we work alone but together movement, this remote work and remote teams movement. Because again, that's something that COVID really just accelerated. It was here before. We had a lot of good research on how well it works and where it doesn't work and what the challenges are. And then we all went through a great work from home experiment where we got to test it out and it's working for a lot of people. And I, the way that I always say it now, you don't send 100 million people off to work from home for a year and then snap your fingers and say, it's time to come back to the office. It doesn't happen. 
Most of your top talent is going to want that freedom and flexibility. Most of all of your talent is going to want that freedom and flexibility. And so we need to get used to the fact that that is one of those areas where this is a new normal. You mentioned you were a business school professor. You brought up Scott Galloway. Talk to me about how do you see higher ed evolving or what, because he's pretty bearish on you know, what schools teach and how they teach it. And I, I follow a lot of his work as well. What, what's your lens on higher ed? Yeah, well, the thing, and, and I like Scott, I, I follow some of his work. He makes a lot of predictions that don't actually turn out, but I applaud him for making predictions and the value in those. I, I think the challenge when we talk about higher education is that the reality is we're talking about two different things or multiple different things, right? And so I see him and I see others who talk about how we're changing the way we do education. We're changing away from is a space that a lot of people in higher education were already moving away from, right? When I look at people who say, oh, this is a cutting edge way to deliver knowledge, what that cutting edge way actually looks like is what a lot of state schools and smaller schools have had to do to create graduate level programs for working adults, graduate level programs for people around the world, et cetera. That old school sort of, you know, thousand years ago model of a sage on a stage lecturing to a, a giant hall of people there weren't a lot of places that were using that model a year ago anyway. I mean, in un traditional undergrad 18 to 24 education, yes. Outside of the Ivies and ironically what a lot of places called elite business schools, there weren't a lot of people using that model. It was a much more integrated working adult model. And so it's been interesting to watch the schools I think that are really going to thrive are the ones that were already moving towards that. I was in a conversation the other day about Harvard Extension School, for example, which is Harvard's division that is supposed to be catering towards working professionals and, and adult learners and that sort of thing, but still required, at least until the pandemic, still required you do at least one semester of on-campus classes. And that's ridiculous in, in 2021 and beyond. And, and it boggled my mind because a lot of other schools that are just underneath that most elite tier have already seen that that's a barrier to entry that doesn't make any sense with the technologies we have. So what does that mean? Am I bullish or bearish on, on higher education? I would say I'm actually bullish on it because I see that a lot of institutions of higher education have actually been adapting more than they get credit for. So let's talk about your latest book, Leading From Anywhere. You know, Give us a, a glimpse. I, I love this idea of, of managing remote teams, and I agree with you. I think it's going to be very difficult to kind of bring everybody back. One of my clients just renewed their lease, and they didn't renew the lease for a big portion of their space because they figured out, wow, we really can be productive, and not everybody has to come back. So, so give us a glimpse into, I think you created a guide for managing remote teams. And I got to tell you, I love how you look at the whole spectrum, right? So a lot of companies have had to hire and onboard people during this pandemic. And by the way, still build a culture and communicate and make sure they don't burn out from Zoom fatigue. So give us a glimpse. <laughs> yeah, so you're exactly right. And I don't remember if I said it already in our talk, but I believe my big prediction is that the future of work is working from anywhere. That doesn't mean office versus work from home. It means, yes, all of the above and a little bit more than you're thinking of right? Because we went through this grand experiment that it'll probably be more than a year by the time it's over, depending on what country you're in and what state you're in, if you're in the United States. And we learned a lot of things there. And everybody's going to want to come back at a different schedule, even related to the pandemic, right? So if you think about it, there's a schedule for vaccine rollout. There's a schedule for the baseline. There's a risk profile based on age and other things. And so not everyone's going to want to come back to the office, even post-vaccination of themselves is going to want to come back to the office because of risk factors that they see that are going on. Maybe they caretake for elderly parents. Maybe they are elderly, you know, whatever it is. So 
the schedule with which people come back to the office is going to be stagnant. And most people are not going to want to agree to the 40 hours a week, Monday through Friday schedule that we used to be keeping. That's a legacy that really, by the time in, in the world of knowledge work, at least, that's a legacy that by 2020 really only guaranteed that you know if someone's in the office or not. I mean, that's really the only benefit that we were still getting from the Monday through Friday, nine to five work schedule was this idea that like, oh, I can go walk down the hall and find them because everybody's supposed to be here, right? That part will go away, right? But you'll have connective technologies. You already have them that make it easy to get a hold of that person if you need them, right? So if we have technology that already replaced the only reason you need to guarantee that everybody's going to be there at the same time, why require everyone to be there at the same time? I see a lot of companies that are already experimenting with what they call like a three, two, two week. So three days on, two days work from home, two day weekend. Um, I see others that are staggering based on times, doing core hours ideas where, hey, you know what? Because we need to plan these in-person meetings from 10 to 2, we want everybody here. But we really don't care if you're here before that or after that, right? It's going to look a, a lot differently depending on the company, where you are, the makeup of your employees, et cetera. And if you're leading that organization, you need to be thinking about how you can maximize the flexibility in that regard. If you're leading just a team in that organization, you don't have the ability to change policies and all that sort of stuff. Well, then you need to be spending this time learning as much as you can from the leaders of fully remote teams, because your team will always be semi-remote from here on out. The, the amount of times where your entire team is together for a extended period of time are going to be few and far between. So you might as well learn from the best research on remote teams and also the best examples. And so that was what we tried to put together in Leading From Anywhere. It's this sort of manual. I, I liken it to, it's not a choose your own adventure book. It's a choose your own dilemma book because each chapter is sort of a different dilemma you could face. How do you actually run an effective virtual meeting? How do you set norms for communication? When are we synchronous versus asynchronous, et cetera? Like you said, how do we hire people? How do we do performance management when I can't see you? Like it's hard to do management by walking around when there's nowhere to walk around. So all of those things are situations that a lot of people listening to this have already faced right now, right? And you may have found solutions that work for you, but you also learned that, hey, maybe, maybe we're still experimenting here. Maybe we're still trying to figure out what works perfectly for our team. And that was the idea was to be able to put this guide in people's hands and go, here's what the research says. Here's what experiences from some of the companies that have been distributed from their beginnings or have already made the transition to distributed have learned. And so you can benefit from all of that and find something that works for your team. So most leaders I speak with have found that they're no longer geographically bound in terms of finding and attracting and onboarding, not just good, not just great, but exceptional talent. I don't care that that person lives wherever, as long as they're the right capability for exactly the role that I need to get the job done. So talk to us about if we can, I really want to take each section that, that leaders I work with are struggling with, give us a best practice, give us either a, a nugget from the research or your interviews or something that you really think leaders should, should focus on. Let's start yeah. with hiring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the big three areas to really look at when you're evaluating candidates to join a remote team or remote people to join your mostly co-located team, but you realize, you know, I shouldn't be bound by geography anymore. The big three questions you're wanting to look at beyond the knowledge, skills, abilities, and that sort of thing that we tend to look at, are they good communicators? And, and I don't define good as like, do they have an MFA in English literature? I define good as like, do the, does the way they communicate, is it clear and concise? And does it fit how our team currently communicates? And when I say communication, by the way, I don't just mean, are they good on a Zoom call? Right. Which is unfortunately how we're doing a lot of these. We're replicating the already flawed job interview process 
and just doing it via video calls. I mean, all forms of communication that your team will be communicating with this person in. So yeah, a, a Zoom call is one of them. So is a phone call. So is text-based communication, both long form email and chat. Whatever process you put people through, you want to make sure that you're actually asking them to do little things like that, right? Even some companies will, will say, okay, we have part one of the interview is in person. Part two, we actually just send you a list of 10 questions and we ask you to record a 90 second to two minute answer to each of those questions, right? Which, which says right away, actually, how well somebody can clearly and concisely think through stuff, right? Some people take the time to think before they hit record. Some people hit record and ramble for five minutes. And then we know that person's probably not a good fit. So the communication piece, we want to know how well they collaborate. Are they, you know, the, the, uh, the grand irony of remote work is that it actually requires synchronizing and collaborating more with people. You used to be able to rely on the fact that you were all together to keep everybody updated on what you were working on. Now it has to be deliberate. It has to be something that you're used to a regular check-in rhythm, whether that's daily or weekly or what have you of tasks, you know how to ask for help, you know how to give feedback, all of those elements of collaboration matter. And then you need to know if they're self-motivated. And, you know, that's a really interesting one. That's actually one of the damages of this. I mean, there's many damages to this pandemic and the great work from home experiment. But it used to be that if you could say, hey, if somebody's worked in for more than a year in a remote role and they're applying now, we can assume that they've sampled this and they like it. And so we can assume a couple things. Now everybody had to to try it, right? So we don't actually know if they were all that good at remote work. So this is where I'd actually encourage you to get a little personal look into habits and hobbies and other things you could use as indicators that this person can deal with having autonomy and is self-motivated enough to get themselves going. The biggest predictor of whether or not someone will work without being watched is how well they've worked in the past without being watched. All right. So I've interviewed your approach. I've, I've interviewed remotely. We found great candidates. Switch over to onboarding. How do we, yeah, they can't come in the office. They can't go do a lot of what we used to do onboarding. How do we effectively onboard them? Yeah, so here we need to prioritize connection over documentation. I mean, again, sort of like the interview process, let's be honest, a lot of companies' onboarding processes are, I'm trying to think of a a less nice... I was trying to be nice. I was going to say terrible, but then I decided to be nice. (laughs) That's a good point. I mean, they they are, and they're not intentionally that way, but they're driven by legal, right, or or HR. They're about what documents and trainings you have to go to so we can certify that we did it, so we can limit our own liability and all that sort of stuff. And they're not actually about the human connection piece, which is what matters more for the teammate side. So, I mean, you still have to do all that documentation, especially in a remote environment. And a lot of companies that, again, just sought to replicate it, they just turn that into, okay, watch this self-paced video on a learning management system that I'll ask you questions at the end to make sure you were paying attention. And those are great, but wouldn't it be better if you say, hey, you're actually going to partner with Sarah and Sarah, you are going to walk through this and she's going to give you a quiz at the end, but that way you get to know your teammate, Sarah, right? And little stuff like that matters, right? And if you can't do that, if you're, again, I, I wrote the book more for that that individual team leader that either doesn't lead a, a big enough organization to do all of these checkmark things or leads inside of one, but doesn't have the ability to change all of this stuff. You can still make sure you're adding those touch points in. Make sure you've got a welcome Zoom call with everybody on the team scheduled for their first day, right? So they get the chance to actually meet those people. Make sure you're scheduling for maybe the first week, you're scheduling them out with other chit chats with other people on the team. So they're getting that live call experience as best you can. Maybe you want to plan their start date when it's safe to do this. Maybe you want to plan their start date around an existing company event that you can bring them in. So, hey, we don't work in person, but we're doing this meeting for our region to get everybody in sync. And that'll be your first day. So you can just meet everybody. Maybe you want to do that. Maybe you want to fly to actually meet them in person. One one company I love 
Bob Glazier at Acceleration Partners, they build their whole remote workforce around these hubs of different cities. So it is a fully distributed workforce, but they pay attention to where they're hiring so that very rarely, other than that first time they're making a deliberate hire in a new hub, very rarely are people fully dispersed. You get to know the people that actually live in Atlanta with you or in Chicago with you. Even if you don't report to the same team, you have a couple people that you know are just around the corner that you can rely on. And it makes visits by senior leadership and even mid-level team leaders easier because you know that a couple different employees are in the same city. So getting everybody together matters too. Those meetups still matter when it's safe to do so. The next best thing is making sure we're being deliberate about prioritizing connection over that documentation. All right. Love that. Love that. So we interviewed a great candidate. We onboarded them. I had Sarah take them to our LMS and get to know each other. And there's these geopods where they don't feel like they're completely isolated. Now let's talk about managing them on, we got to get them productive, right? So whether they're in sales or operations or project or whatever, I've got to get them productive. So how do I manage differently if now my entire team is geographically dispersed? Yeah. So I'll, I'll say there's a big thing here and there's a little thing here. The first big thing, and I really hoped that the great work from home experiment would ruin this, but I don't think it did, is that many people lead teams with an assumption that presence equals productivity. You're here. I can see you. Therefore, you're productive. Right. And that, that hasn't been true for a very, very long time. Right. It was true maybe for factory work. If there was a line and you were there, it was easy to assume you were being productive because if you weren't, the line would stop and then we'd isolate you as the slacker. Right. But in a knowledge work economy where you, you can't see what's going on in people's brains, how do you know that they're even there when they're there? Right. And unfortunately, when we moved and, and all had this forcible move to re working remotely, a lot of leaders just traded responsiveness for presence and then just assumed that responsiveness meant productivity. Oh, this person responds to that email that I sent at 8.30 at night by 8.45 the same night. Maybe they're really responsive. Like, no, maybe they're headed for burnout or maybe they don't have enough life boundaries or maybe they're not actually doing anything productive and that's why they can see your email and type out a quick reply. Or maybe their reply didn't actually say anything. It just said, okay, boss, right? And that, that doesn't help anyone. That, that doesn't mean that person's productive. They're just good at email. And I find there's very little correlation, by the way, between being good at email and being productive. But that's a whole other rant for a you know, different podcast episode. So there's that. We need to separate that out. And then we need to ask ourselves, okay, outside of this assumption about presence and productivity, what, what is the role of a manager sort of truly, right? And we could get into a bunch of Max Weber and all sorts of theories like that. But I, I boil it down to three, right? Setting objectives, tracking objectives, and giving feedback, right? And it changes a little bit when you're in a, a remote environment because you need to make sure that the objectives are on a shorter timeline, right? So if you think about the way we do this, maybe we do quarterly objectives in a co-located environment. Maybe we don't do anything, right? We just do an annual performance review over a couple key behaviors and we give them a random... And this, these are terrible systems for designing it, even in a co-located environment. In a remote environment, you rely on that guaranteed that people are going to feel lost. So we need to shorten the timeframes. We need to be talking and thinking more in sprints than anything else. Two weeks, three weeks. Here's the big goal, right? We all identified we want this big goal in six months. But as a team, we need to come up with what the objectives for this week are or this two-week sprint are so that we can actually set objectives people can see and so that we sync up with each other often enough that when somebody goes off on a tangent thinking they're doing a good job, we don't wait three months and figure out that, no, actually, that didn't help the rest of the team at all. So we need to set objectives in a much shorter timeline. In terms of tracking objectives, I think the best system to use here is not 
buy software or other stuff that people are using to track presence. I think it's if we're already doing the work as a team to shorten the timeline and talk about what our interim small win goals are, well, then we should develop a system where we're checking in with people on a regular basis, collectively checking in, not the one-on-ones that we all talked about the importance of a manager and a sportant, but I mean the whole team talking together, meaning we need to develop that system. It could be the scrum system, right? The three questions of a scrum. What did I work on yesterday? What am I working on today? And what's blocking my progress? I studied one team that did it with a Google Doc that got filled out on Monday and again on Friday, and that was it, right? Whatever system works for your team. But the idea is we need to be answering those questions. What are people working on right now? What have they already accomplished? What are they working on right now? And what's blocking their progress? And that last question is actually key because what we find is in a remote work environment when people need help, They don't ask the team, they ask their boss. And that's a problem. You don't want to be managing 12 individual relationships. You want to be managing a team of 12. And when we were co-located, it was easy to go seek out David because he knew the answer. And I know he works around the corner in a different cubicle and I'll just go tap on his shoulder and ask him. In a remote work environment, for some reason, we don't do that. We just make all our requests go to the boss. Now the boss has to sort of manage all of that. So we develop that system where we're tracking objectives and keeping everyone updated together. Uh, and then the very last piece is, is feedback. And, you know, you and I are both devotees of Marshall Goldsmith. So there's a lot we could say and unpack here in feedback. The only thing I'll say, because, you know, we don't want to make this a four hour long show, is that this feedback piece should be a two way street. When you're doing that one on one check in with people and giving their feedback on how they're doing, make sure that you're open to feedback on how you're doing as well. If your team is newly remote, and I define newly remote as less than a year, if your team is newly remote, then you are still figuring out how to work together as a team. And so you're going to need just as much feedback on how to lead them as you're giving on how they can do their jobs. So setting objectives, tracking objectives, and giving feedback, those have always been kind of the big three things that we ask team leaders to do. And we still ask them to do that in a remote environment. It's just how we do it that changes a little bit. All right, couple of idea sprints. Let's say somebody's doing really great and we want to celebrate. What is one or two ideas in terms of celebrating remotely? Yeah. So this depends. There's really, I break it down in the book. There's really three different things to celebrate, if you will, right? So there's, or ways to celebrate. So there's a peer-to-peer feedback idea. So I would be thinking on your team about how you can enable each other to celebrate each other, to give the high fives, the attaboys or girls that we maybe used to do in person in the office. If we didn't, we probably had a terrible company culture anyway. So we need to be thinking about that. Sometimes that's software. Like there's little, there's like, there's one plugin in Slack, which I'm not the biggest fan of Slack, but I love this plugin that lets you just give somebody a taco emoji for a good job. And then just keeps track of how many tacos people have earned. I like tacos. I think that's pretty cool, but you need something pretty similar where people can give those high fives. If you are wanting to do it as a, as a manager, then the best response would be to actually go to the person first and ask about this. And this is, this would have been true in a co-located environment too. Some people really like to be praised, right? In front of other people where they can see everyone's reaction and everyone's smiling. I mean, I'm a borderline narcissist. I'm one of those people, right? So I'm the type of person that you would want to shout out on the next weekly all hands synchronous Zoom call, right? Other people, maybe not so much. And so as you know your team, you'll know this, but if you don't know this, you should ask. What they might prefer is that you send out a dedicated celebratory email and let everybody just click reply and send their congratulations in in that, right? The bigger fault than how that people make in terms of celebrating wins is actually when and how often. What I find, and I think this is really weird, I'm sure say manager because I was in academia, but I had a dean who was like this, where we would have a once a month all college meeting. 
And every Monday, you could count on this person. And I'm trying to use gender neutral language, so I won't signal it out. You could count on this person asking around the office to see if anybody had any wins that could be celebrated at the beginning of the meeting, because it was obvious they weren't paying attention to the whole college, right? But those, if you just pay attention and you just develop a system to capture those, when your boss sends you a, hey, your team is doing an amazing job on this, drag that into a dedicated folder in your email so it's there for you, right? When a customer sends a, hey, I worked with so-and-so and she was fantastic, drag that into the folder so it's there next time. Because the bigger problem with how we celebrate wins is that we don't do it often enough. You know that Chester and Adrian are mutual friends of ours, right? So you know that we, we probably don't praise people enough. And I think one of the reasons for that is we don't know how much we should praise. Well, now that ev- most of our communication is digital, there's not really a lot of an excuse. All of it can be captured. You just need the system to capture it. Let's go the other direction. Unfortunately, the person is not working out and we got to let them go. Yeah. Okay. So first, before we say we got to let them go, have we made sure that it's a people problem or that it's a process problem, right? Because bad system will beat a a great person every time. And it's harder to know which one it is when you're not working with them everywhere. But I'll I'll assume we figured out that it's it's a people problem. Here, the basics of it don't change all of that much. Right. Uh, assuming we're, we're, it's a firing meeting, bad terms, right? Not a layoff, meaning we could actually celebrate that you were there. There's nothing you did wrong. There's no harm in the relationship. We just economically can't make it work or something like that. Assuming it's bad terms, then the biggest thing we want to make sure of is that we're kind of controlling the, the information flow, right? So we want to have that conversation with them. We're usually going to have to have somebody from HR and legal on that video call with us, et cetera. That's, that's probably fine. We want to make sure in that communication, because there is no, oh yeah, one more thing. When we end the Zoom call, we end the Zoom call. We want to make sure we have everything they need to know about checkout procedures and all of that sort of stuff in place. And then the very last thing we want to know is, I think, and this is just a human touch, I think we ask them, no matter what happens, I think we ask them, how would you like us to handle this announcement with the team, right? And that doesn't mean, oh, let's get them all together in a Zoom call and you can say goodbye, right? If we're firing you for just cause, you don't really get that right. Do you want us to say anything, right? How much do you want to say? Do you want to type a a couple sentences and we'll put it into the email where we send out the announcement, right? We give them just a tiny bit of say in this because the reality is, even though we're in this world where everybody is geographically dispersed, We've never been more connected. You and I, you know, we study this, we know this. And so we need to make sure that even if we're firing for a reason, we're doing it with a level of humanness that recognizes we may interact with them down the road 10 years from now, et cetera. And we want to make sure that everybody still feels okay, not perfect, but feels okay with how that happened. So those are really the biggest things, asking them how, how they want to handle it within reason, but to bring a little humanness back to it. And then also making sure we're crystal clear on what happens, right? And I'll tell you a funny story about this. This was actually from my own life. I didn't, I mentioned this in the book, but I kept cast of characters and all of that sort of stuff. But my first job out of college I worked in, in sales for a, a distributed, you know, I was outside sales for a distributed company. So I worked from home for a boss who was in a different city. And he told me the story of a former employee once that he had to fire and he didn't really understand the importance of crystal clear communication because he said, Hey, meet me at such and such a hotel lobby and make sure you bring your laptop and your keys, which is a strong signal in the world of outside sales that you're going to get fired, right? I'm, I'm asking you to bring back both pieces of the company property, your car and your laptop. But he didn't say car. He said keys. So the guy (laughs) drove through the night to Chicago and then boarded a one-way flight back, right? So he drove eight hours away, boarded a one-way flight back, showed up at the hotel via a cab with his keys and his laptop, and then gave them both to him. And then he said, okay, is the car outside? He said, no, 
where's the car? Economy lot, no hair. Have fun and left. So that's the type of person you don't necessarily want to extend any humanness to, but it does underscore the importance of we get one shot at this call when we make the announcement. We want to make sure we're crystal clear about what is happening after this call ends. What is When is your email getting shut off? What do we need back from you? All of that is crystal clear because you're not going to get a, oh yeah, one more thing as they're walking out like you would in a co-located situation. I'm surprised the guy didn't take him like a hotel room key or something. <laughs> you said keys. You wouldn't exactly say what kind of keys. <laughs> that would have been even worse. It's terrible. All right. So how do we avoid, is it avoidable of the whole Zoom fatigue? I, I don't know about you. I think I had, Brooks, I think I had like 12 in one day. Yeah. And by the end of the day, your brain is just fried, right? Yeah, we're, we we're all a little hungover from all those Zoom happy hours we got invited to during the lockdown, right? So, yeah. How do we avoid that? How do we, again, there's certain things that are obligatory. I've got to be there. I've got to get these projects moving forward. Other things are going to be, you know, forced on us. How do we avoid that digital, the need for digital detox? Yeah. So a couple of thoughts here. The first is that the number one cause of Zoom fatigue is too many meetings. And ironically, that was the number one cause of fatigue in co-located environments too. So there's a bigger lesson we should be talking about here. But I think there's an opportunity in our digital world, right? If you think, if you think about co-located teams, right? You had your weekly or your monthly all hands meeting, right? And because everybody was together for that time, we crammed as much stuff into the agenda as we could, right? And the irony is that, I mean, I remember I used to sit in these when I, you know, my last sort of quote unquote real jobs. And the irony is you'd sit in these two hour long meetings that only actually needed your input for 15 minutes of the two hour long meeting. Right. Well, the, the ironic thing about the situation we're in now is we don't need to take that old mental model of a meeting and reproduce it on Zoom. So my big rule, my biggest rule about meetings and especially Zoom meetings, obviously one purpose per meeting, one purpose per meeting. Now you as the leader might be on three hours of Zoom calls that day, but what I want is for you to actually be on one 30 minute call with these couple of people on the team who need to be talked about with this one 45 minute call with these people on the team, because you're actually saving people's time. When you say, Hey, you know what? This middle section, we don't actually need you here. So, right. We'll keep you updated if we need it, but we just need to discuss this, this sort of issue between uh, these members on the team. Why waste all of your time? You're giving people back that time. Remember that the cost of a one hour meeting for nine people is not one hour. It's nine hours, right? And so if we can give that back to people, we'll cut down on Zoom fatigue for sure. We'll have more efficient meetings because it's obvious why we're there, why we're there to discuss the situation. And we'll keep people included because we're actually telling them why they don't need to be a part of this and how we're going to keep up and, and give them the information that came out of that meeting after the fact. If we could just do that, we could cut down on a ton, a ton of Zoom fatigue, right? And then the other thing I'll say when we're in that one purpose per meeting is that the purpose of any of these meetings should be discussion, decision-making, stuff that requires collaboration. It should not be delivering information. You know the old line, like, oh my gosh, this whole meeting could have been an email. Well, maybe it couldn't have been an email, but you could have prepared that information deck that you were going to present, recorded that as a video using software everybody has now and doesn't even cost money, and send it out to the team and say, hey, we're going to discuss this, but please watch this on your own time before we meet Monday at 11, right? That will also cut down on a ton of Zoom fatigue. The very last thing I'll say, when you're shaping your agenda, and it should be a light agenda because one purpose per meeting, try this little hack. Instead of like generic terms, make your agenda items questions, right? So you're not going to talk about marketing. You're going to talk about 
how can we generate the same number of leads with 25% smaller marketing budget? Question mark. Right. And this does two things. This reminds people that the purpose here is to discuss and get the question answered. And it also helps people know whether or not they just came out of an effective meeting. If we all leave with an answer to the question, then we had an effective meeting. Love it. Love it. Burkus has always got incredible tips. All right. So <laughs> this is the Curvebenders podcast. Curvebenders are strategic relationships that profoundly impact your journey, impact your direction. Can you think about your own journey, where you've been, what you've done, and think of one or two individuals, you can name them or not, who've had a profound impact in shaping who you've become? Yeah. So probably the one, and not to get all sappy and emotional, but probably the one I think about the most is I had an eighth grade teacher when I was young, because I was in eighth grade, which is a good time to be young. Um, that's how that works. But he was really, I, I say I was in eighth grade. I wasn't actually, I went to a charter school that didn't have grades. It was sort of a hippy dippy. Oh, we'll, we'll give you all of these different learning experiences. And then you prepare a portfolio of your past work and, and we move you into segments. I mean, they, they had grades, but they were like two years long instead of one year. And it was just, it was the kind of school that a smart, quick on his feet, savvy punk teenager could use and just abuse. <laughs> right. And just talk his way into making everyone think he was productive. Right? Just in case you know one of these teenagers or you could think of somebody. Yeah, I know. I, I don't know who I'm talking about here, but, uh, <laughs> but this one guy, Michael Mann saw through all of that. And I remember I did one of, I had him for a class, you know, new semester. I submitted the first assignment and literally the only feedback he wrote at the top of the paper, he didn't give me a letter grade or anything like that because the school didn't believe in him. He wrote, it's, crap in red ink and handed it back to me. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, I know what you're doing. Right. And we had this whole conversation about it. Right. And it was, again, it was a point in my life where I needed more structure than I needed autonomy. And he basically was like, I'm going to hold you accountable because you, I like, I know what you're doing. I've seen you. I know who you are. I'm going to actually hold you accountable. Um, and I love that. And, and the thing that, I mean, obviously it, it probably saved me from failing out of school, but the more important thing it made me realize is that in autonomous environments, I need to create my own structure, right? So we talk about this book, Leading From Anywhere. We wrote it in eight weeks, but I was incredibly structured about when I was doing research, what time of day I was doing the typing. I did a Zoom call. I call these work sprints. I did a Zoom call with two other writer friends of mine every weekday at 11 a.m. Central, where we would say hi to each other for a couple minutes, and then we would sit down and write, leave the webcam on so that we could see whether or not each other was slacking off and running away or something like that, or, or not typing, but just you know browsing the internet to hold ourselves accountable. I, I learned that I need to put that into my own life, right? I, I won't say that was a strategic relationship because I had nothing to do with making that connection, but man, I am lucky that connection happened in my life. And for our audience, if you get a chance, and we'll include links to some of David Brooks' work, I, I don't think he's produced crap since then. So <laughs> every, every, everything you read by this guy, as evident by this interview, is insightful, it's well-researched, It's there's just incredible nuggets and I'm grateful. So you've been listening to leading. Uh, David Burkus is the author of the brand new book, Leading from Anywhere, The Essential Guide to Managing Remote Teams. Uh, before this, he came out with a really cool audio book. Uh, literally title is Pick a Fight, How Great Teams Find a Purpose Worth Rallying Around. And I got to tell you, one of my favorite Burkus books is Friend of a Friend, which is right in there in terms of understanding the hidden networks and, and those incredible value of relationships that transform lives and careers. David Burkus, thank you for being our guest on the Curve Benders podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me.
By the way, three quick points, new season and a renewed commitment to our digital footprint, blog, newsletter, social media. We turn the show notes from these podcasts into more in-depth articles, so you can find those in our completely revamped new blog forthcoming at norgroup.com slash blog. Number two, we're completely revamping our newsletter to make them even more practical and relevant with both a free and a premium version. Check it out at norgroup.com slash newsletter. Lastly, we want to bring the content from these episodes to life. So whether it's a Twitter chat with a guest or live streaming through our Facebook and YouTube channels, or even more recently, a Clubhouse audio conversation, check out our various social media channels with the hashtag CurveBenders for the latest update. Wow, what an incredibly energizing conversation with my friend David Burkus. The guy is like that all the time. So I've, I've had him at my various events. Uh, obviously, we've interacted several times. He's always insightful. Uh, he really thinks, he researches, he interviews a lot of great folks for his content. And you can't go wrong uh, by learning from him. So I would highly, highly encourage you to check out uh, his website is just David Burkus, B-U-R-K-U-S dot com. And under books, you'll see Leading from Anywhere, uh, Pick a Fight, the audiobook. Friend of Friend has got to be my favorite by far. He's got Under New Management, The Myths of Creativity. So a lot of great content. Here are three uh, North summary notes that I'm hoping you can immediately put to good use. Number one, I, I want to I reiterate his comment. Think of trends that COVID changed, and I tend to agree with those. We're going to have to get back together in person again. As human beings, we're tactile. So, you know, this, you know, closed borders and no more in-person events, and that's just not going to work. So what are those uh, changes that you know are going to come back? And then things that, trends that COVID accelerated, I, I agree, I'm absolutely bullish on, which is this whole idea of working from anywhere, digital interactions, digital engagement, remote teams working from anywhere is not going to go away. I've got several clients that are not renewing their total amount of real estate because they figured out that all these people don't need to come back. And we've been really productive. And I, and I love his comment, this this uh, global uh, experiment of you, you don't have to be per, you know present to be productive. So Start making a list for yourself. What have you observed in the last year that you believe is here to stay? Whether you're in a position to change those or not, or you've got a function within somebody else's guardrails, start figuring out what are you know what are those trends that you can dramatically benefit from and leverage moving forward. Number two is this idea of uh, hiring. He's absolutely right. We had a really flawed interview process to begin with. So don't just, you remember when we first had websites and a lot of people put brochures on, on a website and the sites became brochureware? Well, we weren't aware of what the websites were capable of, the interactivity, engagement, and the backend rich data and you know recommendation engines and all those things. Rethink about how you hire, how you find not just good, but exceptional candidates. How do you get them on board? Same thing with onboarding. I love the human connection and prioritize connection over documentation. But the big one that really resonated was the whole managing, which is presence does not equate to productive. 
Uh, responsiveness does not equate to productive. Good email it does not you know, equate to you know, being productive. So setting those objectives, love the idea of shorter timelines and sprints, tracking those. I wrote down C as in C kind of those progress, sync. Are we on the same page? Are we making good progress? And then kind of set or maybe even reset those objectives to make course correction. And then, you know, give feedback. And I love that two-way street. How are things going? And this is absolutely a Marshall Goldsmith kind of mantra. What's one thing I could do to be a better manager? What's one thing that I could do to be a better leader? What's the one thing I could do to be a better husband or better friend? And those are questions we can all ask from people we interact with. In terms of collaboration, more is going to be critical, uh, but really meeting for the right reasons really engaging people for, you know, meeting for the right reasons. We don't celebrate it often enough. That resonated with me. Letting people go, that's never been fun. That's never going to be fun. So make it as humane as possible and and really asking them, how would you like us to communicate this with the team? Being crystal clear on, on what happens next. And then the one purpose for meeting. And I got to tell you, my favorite uh, and, and good chance you know, I'm going to start doing this more. The agenda items are questions because the reminder of what they're going to get as well as it helps them effectively figure out, did we have a productive meeting because we came up with an answer to the question? So those are just some of the things that really resonate with me from this conversation with uh, with Berkus. I hope you'll listen to it. I hope you'll take notes and I hope you'll apply some of these in the great, great book is written, Leading from Anywhere, The Essential Guide to Managing Remote Teams. I'm so grateful for all of our listeners on the Curve Vendors podcast. I'd love to hear from you with ideas, with suggestions, with guests you'd love to hear from at this intersection of future of work, strategic relationships, and nonlinear growth. You can simply email podcast at norgroup.com or follow us on various social media channels where I use the hashtag CurveBenders to keep you posted on our latest progress. 